Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Well, we aren't done yet. I thought we were done. I felt we were done. I was negative all day. I was negative all night. But the New York Mets survived to beat the San Diego Padres in game two. Welcome to Rico Bronia. We did not have a Rico after game one. It had nothing to do with the result, as I mentioned I was uh, waking up early to do the Saturday program with Joe Beningo. And if you'd heard that, I was not in a great mood. Joe was not in a great mood. We were not exactly brimming with confidence going into game two at City Field. And I don't have to re-explain why I wasn't brimming with confidence. I think it was obvious. We had talked about it on the past Rico that what happened in Atlanta combined now with what happened in game one certainly didn't leave me and I don't think many other Met fans feeling real good, feeling real comfortable. And even throughout game two, there were moments of disgust. There were moments of, oh my God, they are going to lose this game. They're going to shut down City Field for 2022 after two straight losses to the San Diego Padres. And you may ask, oh, Evan, when did you have that feeling? Let's go back to the first inning. Because even though Jacob DeGrom delivered one of his most dominant innings of the night, you know, he really had three dominant innings or three really good innings of the six he threw, the first, the second, and the sixth. But even after DeGrom strikes out Soto and Machado back-to-back, and City Field's electric, and my brain's starting to think, oh, Don Larson, here we go. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I was never thinking about Don Larson or a perfect game. But Brandon Nimmo leads off the game with a single. We're all feeling good. All right, great. Let's get some runs. Starling Marte bounces into a double play. I'm not mad at Starling Marte, but the story of the New York Mets, not just the night before against you, Darvish, in the first and second inning, but really what feels like the last month is missed opportunities. So even though Lindor hits that home run, which was tremendous, great job by Francisco, what happens? Blake Snell can't throw strikes. The Mets get two guys on with two outs for Jeff McNeil. And I'm not mad at anybody. Jeff hits the ball right at the center field of Grisham. But it was frustrating. You have to admit, that first inning, even with a one nothing lead, was frustrating because the Mets hit the ball hard basically every time and had something to show for it, but in my opinion, not enough to show for it. Then you go to the second inning. An out-of-nowhere two-out rally. Tomas Nito draws a walk. 
Brandon Nimmo has the infield hit. And again, another opportunity for this offense. And again, they get nothing. Stalling Marte flies out the center. He hit that one pretty well. Then Jacob DeGrom, in his words, because I was able to listen to what Jake had to say uh, after this start. That's what happens when you drive home from City Field. I have the opportunity to actually hear what people have to say, and then we can react to that. But Jake said, hey, I threw a great pitch to Trent Grisham. No regrets. And Trent Grisham somehow, some way, has become a god. Like these two games against the Mets in the playoffs after hitting freaking 160, Trent Grisham, you can't get out. But nevertheless, Jacob DeGrom, we love him, gives the lead back. one nothing becomes 1-1. And Blake Snell, who was working at a snail's pace, I'm not going to play the pun of the snail's pace. He was just working very slowly. He couldn't throw a strike. He walks Lindor. And then Alonzo is super overly aggressive on the strikeout. Marcana strikes out. Jeff McNeil grounds out. Another inning in which the Mets have an opportunity. And even when they retook the lead in the fourth inning, when Brandon Nimmo came up with the clutch hit after Snell walks back-to-back guys to start the fourth inning, and you get Blake Snell out of this game because he threw a million pitches, even then, the offense left you needing more. You've got runners on first and second, one out for Starling Marte and Francisco Lindor, and you get nothing. And that was scaring the crap out of me. So even with a two-to-one lead with Jacob DeGrom on the mound, through four innings, I think I'm thinking what everyone's thinking, which is they haven't scored enough. I love Jake. I do. But never tonight did I ever think, or last night, because I think most people are going to be listening on Sunday morning since we're going to post this at about 2 a.m. because we're recording this at about 1 a.m. So I assume 98% of the audience will be listening to this Sunday or maybe Monday after the Mets get eliminated so you can mock me being somewhat excited after they won game two, whatever the hell you're listening. But after four innings, the Mets are up two to one and never for a second was I satisfied with how many runs they had scored and never confident that Jake, no offense to him, was ever going to make it hold up because Jake, after the first two innings and really after the first inning, because even though he pitched a one, two, three second inning, he didn't have the command and he really hasn't had that same command for a long time now. But even in a one, two, three second inning, he's fallen behind at Brandon Drury. He fell behind Josh Bell. He got outs, which is great. I'm not complaining. But you could tell he wasn't as sharp as when we see Jake at his best. And then, of course, in the fifth inning, in a lot of ways, we saw the best and the worst of our man because he issues a leadoff walk to Trent Grisham in which he was being careful with him. Grisham hit a home run on a pitch Jacob DeGrom has no regrets on. He was being careful with him. Padres laid down a bunt sacrifice. Hopefully Tomas Nito's keeping note because he couldn't lay down a bunt sacrifice earlier in the game. And then he throws one too many sliders to Jurickson Profar. He threw so many freaking sliders to this guy. And finally on that 2-2 pitch, he hooks it down the line. And we're all cursing him out. I'm not, not Profar DeGrom. I got this guy next to me who I think listens to the Rico. So he'll probably say, oh, yeah, that was me. I got a guy next to me screaming at the top of his lungs, opt out, you stupid, soft son of a bitch. And then he starts screaming. He's talking about the Grom. Then he starts screaming, hey, Buck, 
make this guy throw 150 pitches so his arm falls off in Atlanta. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, trust me, when he gave up the base hit to Profar and then the base hit to Juan Soto and there's first and third one out in a tie game, I think we're all worried. I think we're all saying, oh, here we go. DeGrom is one more bad pitch away from pulling a Scherzer, from having just a very, very mediocre performance. And so as Manny Machado was striding to the plate, who DeGrom handled in his first two at-bats, I closed my eyes because otherwise I wanted to punch this man. He's a nice guy. We talk all the time, but I really wanted to punch him in the face for everything he was screaming at Jake. Like, I mean, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with some of the things, but really... We're just we're talking about opt-outs and go to Atlanta in the middle of a goddamn postseason game. Can we wait till the season's over? And I'm sure we'll have plenty of discussions on opt-outs and Atlanta and Texas and how much you want to pay him. We'll do a whole freaking podcast about it. But not now, fatty. Sorry, he's not fat. I just I was angry and I, I used I apologize. Anyhow. I closed my eyes and I thought of the Dodgers in 2015 and thought of how the best of Jake that night was not dominating, was his ability to get out of trouble. And even though he had given up the home run earlier to Grisham and he had just given up the RBI single to Profar, this was nut time for Jacob DeGrom. This was nut up time for Big Jake. And to his credit, he strikes out Manny Machado, I think with a fastball. I think he ended up blowing a fastball right by him after he threw a couple of sliders early. And then he strikes out Josh Bell. And it was not up time by Jake. And to Jake's credit, he's at 90 pitches. He gets through the fifth. They're still tied. So it's kind of a minor victory. And the thoughts going through my mind of maybe Jake's done. And it really doesn't have to do with pitch count. I want to make that clear. It has to do with effectiveness. It has to do with, okay, he just gave the lead back. He somehow found a way to get the last two outs and keep the game tied. I'm thinking what gives the Mets the best chance to win? Like, do I trust that Jacob DeGrom can go back out for the sixth inning and get the job done? And what I would learn very quickly, what we would all learn very quickly, is he'd be doing it with a lead because Pete Alonso ambushed the very first pitch of the fifth inning from Nick Martinez, and that was a huge moment for Pete. It was a huge moment in this game, obviously, for us as Mets fans. But I think for Pete, after striking out earlier, he did draw a walk in the first inning. That was the deep breath moment for Pete Alonso. And even later in the game, during the huge break-it-open rally in the seventh inning, you know, Pete had such a great at-bat. Was that a 10-pitch at-bat, too? He had a very long at-bat to draw the walk to get two on and nobody out. And I think that ambush home run against Martinez in the fifth inning goes a long way. Because I think we all thought, is Pete Alonso pressing? Is Pete Alonso trying to do too much? He came so close to beating you, Darvish, in the first inning in game one. He hooked it foul. And then there was a lot of frustration. So he got a first pitch from Nick Martinez. He crushed it. Re-gives the lead to Jake. And what I tweeted out was what I thought, which was, let DeGrom start the sixth, but be ready. Be ready. He puts a guy on base. He walks a guy. He has walked two guys in this game, which for DeGrom feels like 10 because he never walks anybody. Be ready to get Jake out of the game. 
Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And Jacob deGrom in the sixth inning pitched a nine-pitch, one-two-three inning. He was so good in the sixth, we're all thinking, how about the seventh? And this was the moment Pete Hoffman will never forget. Because after deGrom finishes the sixth inning, I very quickly take my phone out. And I text only one person. I ignored the Mets text chat I'm in. And by the way, the reason Pete Hoffman is not in the Mets text chat, there's a reason. There's actually a really good reason. We will not allow greenies into our text chat. And Hoffman's one of those guys who has a non-Apple phone. So he's banned from the text chat. No that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And I've been banned from many chats, so I'm okay with that. But that, <laughs> that, that, that's the one I want to be in. That's the only chat I care about. I'm sorry, and you have some friends in that text chat. You've got people who like you, and one of the guys is like, can't have offense. We can't put the green in there. I apologize. I respect it. I respect the hustle. But I only texted Pete because of this podcast, because him and I, the other day, spoke hypothetically about Edwin Diaz pitching the seventh inning. So I didn't believe anybody else would get it. Only me and Pete would understand because we had the discussion. We talked about, and look, my hypothetical did not nail what it was. I was more middle of the order in the seventh inning, guys on base. This was not that. This was Buck Showalter saying, hey, we can't get Trent Grisham out. That's what it started with. It was Buck saying, we can't get Grisham out. And oh, by the way, Soto and Machado's coming up. So why not use Edwin Diaz? of it. I love the fact that Buck Showalter said to himself, I can't F around. I'm going to my best pitcher in the seventh. What went through your mind, Hoff? 
I, I it was I loved it. I loved every second of it. Now I did think I did think that maybe you give the the only thing I was thinking was maybe give the Grom first or second that batters just because I thought the whole plan was Diaz goes in for the top of the, or mid order, but I respect it and I knew that he'd come back out once Diaz was in the seventh. He was going to come back in for the eighth too, so I was, yeah. I was comfortable with that. This was so. This is the way you got to view it. And I think what changed things, what we couldn't have predicted, was Trent Gresham. Was the fact that, and Buck said this after the game, and I respect it. Buck basically said we can't get this guy out, and they haven't. I mean, Trent Gresham hit a home run against Max Scherzer. I know everybody hit a home run against Max Scherzer, but he hit the second home run against Max Scherzer. And remember that great play Starling Marte made in the seventh inning was on a Grisham ball. So he could have had a couple of hits in this game. Hits the home run off Jake and draws a walk. I agreed with you, by the way. My thought at the time was, let me let Jake start the seventh, and then Diaz is my guy because of the top of the order and because of the heart coming up. But what made me, after the fact, I admit, change my view on this was the Grisham thing. The fact that DeGrom said after the game, when Jacob DeGrom says, Trent Grisham hit a ball over the fence that I don't regret the pitch. I think it was a great pitch. He hit it out. I give credit to him. That makes me think, boy, I'm glad DeGrom didn't face him again. Because in his second at-bat, leading off an inning, he walked him. He was very careful with him. And remember, Grisham ended up coming around and scoring on the pro-far hit. So I kind of get Buck saying, you know what? I love Jake. Yes, he's great. This isn't the guy I want DeGrom facing for a third time. And so Diaz was never an option for nine outs. That that was never realistic unless somehow he breathed through two innings, throwing like 18 pitches, which wasn't going to happen. This was, I'm going to get the six outs from Edwin now in the seventh and eighth. And one of the reasons I've always loved it was twofold. A, he's facing the better hitters of the other team. And then also, how about this factor? And it boy, did this factor in big time. Maybe my offense is going to break it open. Maybe when Edwin Diaz shuts down the seventh, maybe my offense explodes in the bottom of the seventh. Or maybe when Diaz shuts down the seventh and eighth, my offense explodes in the eighth. And that's exactly what happened. Now, first on Diaz, he was not the sharpest we've ever seen. When he threw ball one and ball two to Trent Grisham, I was nervous. And then we had that shaky spring training play between Alonzo and Edwin Diaz. He gives up the base hit to Nola in which I don't know what Lindor was doing. I think he mistimed his jump. Then you had that weird play where Alonzo dives. McNeil makes the play. There's a bang-bang play at first that, for some reason, Bob Melvin challenged. I have no idea why. He was clearly out. Maybe he thought the replay committee was high from the previous inning, which I do not understand how the Marte play at first wasn't overruled. We all saw the replay. He was safe. What the, what the hell was that? Was there an explanation on TV about that, Pete, on how they didn't overturn that? Well, it looked like it, they thought that it looked like it, he missed the bag initially and then dragged his toe at the end. But I got to be honest, the bag, he touched it. He tripped over the bag. He The ball was clearly there after his foot was – I know it was the front of it, so it wasn't on top. It wasn't like he stepped fully flush, but his toe was touching the bag. And the re- there was never a good replay to overturn it. That's what happened. Wow. I mean, I, I know you want it to be 100% convincing to overturn. And I, and I respect that. Like, I wouldn't just overturn anything. 
But I thought at least because look, they show the replay on the scoreboard as much as they can. And to me, my eyes was the guy safe. It, it wasn't very close. And then when Bob Melvin and Ing later challenges the profile play, I'm like, what well, if they overturn this, I may riot. I mean, if they overturn this, I think I'm gonna jump on the field. Like I'm gonna be it, so upset if they do this. After I saw the replay, I was still nervous. I'm like, he clearly Diaz clearly got his foot there, but they may overturn it. And it's <laughs> it, it that's that's a, that's where we're at right now. That's listen, there were some calls, questionable calls. Um, who was it that was up the bat? Was it Darren Ruff or somebody was up the bat? And there was some Snell was getting pinched. So there were some moments on both on a, a lot of different scales where I was like, Mets are getting lucky. We're trying to get we're trying to pray for a sack bunt out of Tomas Nito. <laughs> and he's they're gifting him balls. I know. Yeah, there was some it's tough where I'm sitting because I'm behind the plate, it's a good view, but sometimes you can't see left, right, ball strike. I did go back and look at the Kim strikeout, the one he was really upset about. That was a strike. It was a very close pitch. It was DeGrom painting the corner. So at least that one where Hayson Kim got very upset, I thought was a strike. But to Diaz's credit, he wasn't the sharpest. He gets one soda to tap out. And then we get something that I think is fascinating. I think this is a great debate. So I hope people are on my side about going to Diaz in the seventh inning and Buck's side. I respect if you disagree, but I love that this is a new thing in baseball. There's a lot of new things in baseball we hate. It's very, very easy to hate new things in baseball. I love the fact that we don't have managers using closers in the ninth inning because they need to get them a save. I always found that dumb. I thought it was ass backwards. And I think Andrew Miller changed all that, the way Francona used Andrew Miller in 2016, where these guys are going to get paid. They don't need 50 saves to get paid. We're not stupid. If a guy's great out of the bullpen, it doesn't matter how many saves he has, you're going to get paid. And I, I really believe that's what changed everything. So Buck no longer during the regular season feels, oh, boy, I got to use Diaz in the ninth because I can't get him a hole. I got to get him a save. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a rat's ass anymore. It's one of the new things in baseball that's awesome. So I think I've made my case. Buck's made his case. I love using Diaz in the seventh. But here's where things get complicated because there's a lot of avenues where using a a dominant reliever early can go. One is you maximize the amount of outs he gets. Great. You call it a day. The other is breaking a game open. When would you feel comfortable taking your best reliever out? Because, hey, I've got a big lead. And I want to take you back before we discuss what happened in this game to Atlanta about a month and a half ago. If you recall, the Mets one win in Atlanta when they lost three out of four was that 8-6 game Max Scherzer started. The Mets had a one-run lead in the eighth inning, and Buck Showalter went to Edwin Diaz, and he did an amazing job. He faced the heart of the Braves' order, pitched a one-two-three inning, and then the Mets in the top of the ninth scored three runs. Now they had a four-run lead. Buck Showalter pivoted. He said, okay, I got a four-run lead. I'm not going to ask for six outs from Edwin. I'm convinced Edwin was going to go for six outs, but because the Mets scored three runs, Buck took him out and went to Trevor May, who promptly made the game really exciting. You may remember Ronald Acuna Jr. came this close to a game-tying home run. I think sent uh, Marte to the warning track. Um, Did Marte play in that series? I think he did. Whoever, somebody went to the warning track. And the Mets survived. Regular season, Buck said, okay, I got my big three outs from Edwin. I sort of broke it open. I'm going to take him out. This game in game two was so goddamn unique because, A, the Mets had a 50-minute inning 
The seventh inning took forever. And it took forever because Morjan couldn't throw a freaking strike because we saw bullpen movement. We saw long at-bats. We saw pitching change, which is what I meant by bullpen movement. We saw pitch calm not working. So when you factor in 10 pitch at-bats, pitch comms not working, it's just taking forever. There's a pitching change. Edwin Diaz's ass is in the dugout for an hour. Close to an hour. It's not really an hour, but a long time. And oh, by the way, it was cold out. Factor number one. Factor number two is, well, the Mets went out and scored four runs. So now all of a sudden you have a five-run lead. But here's the problem. This is an elimination game. If you take Edwin Diaz out in the eighth inning with a five-run lead, and then whoever you go to, probably Adam Adovino, runs into trouble, what's your safety net? And this could turn into Zach Britton 2.0 to another degree where, yeah, I used my best reliever. I didn't leave him in the dugout or in the bullpen. But the problem is I took him out. So I'm managing along. I'm sitting there with my dad saying, this is tough. I don't know the answer. I was, I was admitting. I was like, I don't know, man. I think they have to make it an eight-run game for him to take Diaz out. So I had no issue with him staying in. Is there risk of, well, it's cold. He sat for an hour, and that makes him ineffective? Yeah, man, there's a chance he's going to be ineffective because it's something so unique. It's something he hasn't done. But I think because it's an elimination game. If you're Buck Showalter, you had to send him out for the eighth inning. You, you just had to because if you take him out six outs away, even with a five-run lead, and we ended up seeing Adam Adovino obviously make things interesting in the ninth inning. I mean, the freaking tying run came to the plate, which is, don't get me started on that. Like, I think Buck had to keep Diaz in the game. Do you agree with that, or were you ready to pull Edwin Diaz? No, 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 I was 100% agreeing with it. I never thought, I think that I, I looked at Twitter after like he came back out and I saw people like hating on him. I'm like, there was never an, I just watched the Toronto Blue Jays ha- lose a seven run lead. They were up eight to one and they lost. So I, with the Mets history, you can't mess around. I'm sorry. And I'm not trying to, 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 to slight our, our history in any way. In these moments, Diaz is the best pitcher for if you're gonna go to the bullpen, bring in Ottavino with a fresh arm or Diaz who's been sitting for an hour. I'm gonna go to Diaz. I'm and sorry. If you lose that game. And remember, the Padres had the heart of the order coming up in the eighth inning. Uh Soto had made the last out, but you are talking about Manny Machado, Josh Bell, Jay Cronenworth. If you go to someone else, because A, Edwin Diaz was sitting for a long time, and B, you have a five-run lead, and God forbid you ever blow it. I think that's one of those unforgivable managerial moves that live with you forever. So, yeah, it's difficult because the question is, what's the lead where you take them out? What's the number where you say, okay, I'm good. I'm going to take them out. When Brandon Nimmo came up in the seventh inning after the Mets had already scored the four runs and eventually Nimmo struck out, I remember saying to my daddy, it's a three-run home run. Okay, I'll take Diaz out. (laughs) It's 10 to 2. Okay, I'll take Edwin Diaz out. But it's 7 to 2. I wasn't ready to do it. And Diaz was like fine because he comes in, he gets the ground ball back to the man. It was hit hard, but he makes the play. He issues the walk to Josh Bell. That was brutal because it was on four pitches. And then he strikes out Cronenworth. So he gets you the two outs. At that moment, Buck says, okay, I've seen enough. 
I don't know why is the pitch count being 28, 29, that magic number where Buck says, I got to get him out because now I am thinking about tomorrow. I am thinking about the fact that I'm going to need Edwin Diaz to pitch at some point in a winner take all game three. And no, Godavino comes in, he gets the big strikeout. And then in the ninth inning, I don't know what the hell was going on. That was, that was Yankee out of Vino. That was a Yankee out of Vino. Yankee fans know what I'm talking about. Adam Adovino had very difficult issues. Difficult issues. He had problems throwing strikes. And that has not been a major hindrance to Met Adovino. But Yankee Adovino, it was a problem. And so when you have a five-run lead in the ninth inning, and you're essentially walking Grisham, I know he hit him, but he walked him. And then you're walking Nola. And then Profar comes within an inch of hitting a home run. But okay, at least you threw it down the plate. You got an out out of it. And then you walk Soto. And then you walk Machado. You can't walk these guys. They hit a home run. You're still winning. When he walks Machado, and I got to watch Seth Lugo come into a four-hour game, and now the tying runs at the plate. On a guy who set the tone for this series with the home running game one, I mean, this would have been this would have been like, hey, Toronto, hold my beer. That's what that would have been. But look, Lugo got the job done. The Mets were able to win. And that seventh inning, and I don't want to gloss over at the bottom of the seventh, was a very, very encouraging inning. That was the best inning we've seen from this Met offense because they, A, had such great at-bats, top to bottom, from Lindor's full count base hit to right field to his read on the wild pitch to go to second, which is forgotten because Alonzo walked, to the long Alonzo at-bat, to the great Marcana at-bat, to where now you got the bases loaded, to Jeff McNeil ripping the two-run double, to Eduardo Escobar coming through behind in the count 0-2, opposite field RBI single, to Vogel back with a sacrifice fly. That was a very encouraging offensive inning. And remember, that's on the heels of Tomas Nito doing something really, really stupid. And that was when Darren Ruff is hit by a pitch and you're using Terrence Gore, who is on the team for one reason. He's on the team to steal bases. That's it. And Buck decides to use him in the sixth inning because, hey, every run is precious. If you're Tomas Nito, you cannot swing at the first pitch. That can't happen. I'm sorry, Tomas. You're not Johnny Bench. You are not swinging at the first pitch. You have to give Terrence Gore a chance or two to steal second base. If you swing at the first pitch and you get a hit, I'm still going to say, Tomas, you can't, that's risky. And obviously, worst case scenario, you bounced into the double play, but you wasted Terrence Gore. And look, it turned out not to matter because the Mets broke it open in the seventh inning, but Terrence Gore is a chip you can only use once. Can't use him multiple times. You can only pinch run once because he's not going to hit. It's not like he's going to go up batting unless you're really desperate. So I hope Balk put his arm around Tomas and said, Tomas, we love you. We really do. We, we love you. You can't lay down a bunt sacrifice anymore, but we still love you. You throw guys out at second base, which is great. We love you. Get your head out of your ass. If I'm using Terrence Gore to pinch run, can you let the guy run? Can you, can you do that for me, Tomas? So that was a stupid play. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. But the seventh inning was a very, very encouraging inning. And look, I think we're all relieved. The season is not over yet. The Mets won a baseball game. Uh, Does this mean the offense will break out? Like, was that seventh inning? And you can combine that with the Alonzo home run in the fifth and the Lindor home run early, but was all of that enough for this offense to relax and break out? It's not going to be easy. Joe Musgrove is a tough customer. And what scares me about Joe Musgrove, and this has nothing to do with pitching. Well, I'll start with the pitching thing. Uh, He's pitched really well over the last month. I mean, all these guys have. Blake Snell, obviously you, Darvish. But I think with Musgrove, he's given up one run in his last, like, 20 innings, something of that nature. So, A, he's good. I mean, it's just he is. But here's what scares me about this guy. He's Mr. San Diego. He's, if I'm not mistaken, from San Diego. He pitched the first no-hitter in the history of the franchise, which was made even more special because he's Mr. San Diego. And now here he is trying to lead San Diego into the divisional series against their arch rivals, those evil bastards from L.A. Scares me. And that's why, if you ask me right now, how do you feel? I'm relieved. I'm relieved they won. Am I confident going into game three? No. And I apologize. Because I know there are people that want the pom-poms and the positivity. There are moments where I may be positive. Like maybe if the Mets play the Dodgers in the divisional series, I'll surprise you. And I'll say, you know what? (laughs) I feel good. I don't feel good right now. Do you feel good, Hoff? Did, Did this win all of a sudden change everything for you? No, because I saw how Scherzer got lit up in game one, and that concerns me because DeGrom battled through today. He was careful. He His fastball was a – he realized that they could hit he the fastball, and then all of a sudden yeah. you notice the pitch changed. Yeah. No, he stopped. Uh, Bassett, I think, could be crafty, but still I, I am concerned that he's the one team – or there's been a couple teams that he had tr- troubles with – San Diego was one of them, if I'm correct. So it it does concern me a little bit. But again, it's about the offense. Because like I said, it, it, Scherzer, game one, could give up seven home runs. If you score one run, you're not winning the game. Yes. So so the bats need to come alive, and Musgrove, Musgrove is really good. So I, I am a little nervous about that. The Padres had to use, not Josh Hader, who we haven't seen in this series, but you, know, you basically eliminate a bunch of guys from being available tomorrow. Nick Martinez... I don't know about as much Pierce Johnson, Stephen Wilson, but Marjan, who didn't pitch well. Uh, the Met bullpen situation is going to be weird, too, because Diaz and Adovino are going to be available. But how effective will they be considering how much they threw in this game, which I have no regrets about. You can't worry about that 
tonight or in game two if you're Buck because you got to get to tomorrow. You got to get to game three. But you are talking about a Diaz and Adovino who threw a lot of pitches. And I, I don't know what to expect from Chris Bassett anymore. Chris had two really, really rough starts down the stretch of this season. The game against the Chicago Cubs, which set the tone for that series, and obviously the finale against Atlanta. And I didn't love his comments on Saturday where he said, now New York's crazy, and I'm paraphrasing here. You lose a couple of games and people think the world is ending. Chris, 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 Chris. Think about the games you lost. Think about, think about that. You lost all three games to the Atlanta Braves, which cost you the National League East, and then you lost the first game of a best of three. I mean, yeah, a couple of games can cost you. And the passion of New York, which I think a lot of athletes love, you got to take the good with the bad. The passion that Met fans have, the loudness that you heard at City Field over the last two days, it's great and you love it. But what comes with that is the negative stuff, which is we're annoyed when you suck. I didn't get to hear the Cardinals game. I watched it. So I saw it like on my phone and I had it on an iPad and then my iPad dropped and it shattered, which was not a good experience at City Field today. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'll tell you this real quick. So I'll set my iPad up sometimes during the regular season to have a Yankee game on because I need to watch it. Obviously, we, we do a sports talk radio show. So before the Met game, I had the Blue Jay game on. And that play, that um, little blooper where Bichette and was it Springer ran Springer. into each other? Yeah, bad, yeah. We're watching that play, and by we, I mean me and everyone in the section because everybody needs to see this play. And right after the collision, I had a collision. My tablet gets blown over by the wind, goes face down on the cement, and when I pick it up, not good. Not a good scene. Oh, no. And so it's my fault. I shouldn't have had my tablet up there, even though I've had my tablet up there for years. I mean, that's basically where I put it. Bad job by me. I should have had a screen protector, but whatever. Um, I don't know why I told this story. Was there context to this? Well, it's because it shattered like a was – it, was, it, was there shards of glass everywhere? No, it wasn't like that. It was where you can see the iPad is just cracked. Like, it oh. wasn't shattered in terms of glass everywhere. It was just – it was a little bit of a mess. Oh, here's what I was going to say about us as fans. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado cropped the bet. They did. They did nothing in that two-game sweep at the hands of the Philadelphia Phillies. Goldschmidt came up in a big spot, struck out. I mean, they were awful. Like, should we give them standing ovations? Did the Cardinal fans give them standing ovations? Did the Cardinal fans say, but Goldie, you won the MVP. We love you. Or did they say, hey, listen. You make a ton of money, you piece of crap. Did they say that to Nolan Arenado? I don't know what they did in St. Louis, but I know what we would do here, which is we would be pissed. It's why Max Scherzer was booed the other night. Like, we want to cheer Max Scherzer. And did Max Scherzer, when he pitched, have a really good regular season? Yeah, he had the lowest ERA of his career. He did. It's crazy. But he crapped the bed in a playoff game. So fans are angry. So if you want just love all the time, I would advise Chris Bassett, at, when I say this with respect, go to St. Louis. I don't know what to tell you. This is New York, where I think the extreme good comes with the extreme bad. Now, does that comment 
mean anything about how he's going to perform on Sunday night? Not necessarily. I just didn't like the comment. And let me address one other comment. Jacob DeGrom was asked, was there any moment you thought this could be your final game at City Field as a Met? And he smiled and he paused and he said, yeah, the thought went through my mind. We cannot read into everything he or anyone says about free agency. We just can't. We can't do it with Aaron Judge. We can't do it with Jacob DeGrom. We can't do it with Brandon Nimmo. Because I think most of the time it's pretty simple. If the Mets offer him the most money, he'll stay. I know there's this little thought of he doesn't want to be here anymore. He wants to go here. He wants to go there. Maybe. Look, there are exceptions to every rule. John Olerud, who is beloved here, took less money to leave because he wanted to be near his family in the state of Washington. So it can happen, and it may happen. But let's not drive ourselves nuts here. And hopefully this isn't an issue for a month. I don't want to talk about the offseason. I don't want to discuss contracts. We will. We'll do big, giant podcasts all about freaking contracts. But not yet. Maybe soon. Maybe in a couple days. But not yet. Jacob DeGrom pitched well tonight. Was it everything Beningo may have wanted? Probably not. He would have squeezed out that extra inning, and I understand that. I totally get that. But he was good enough. And here's the other thing about Jacob DeGrom, and this is why you really should be careful when you say, get out of here, go to Atlanta. Let's take a look at the last few starts from New York Met pitchers. Let's think about them. Let's think about all of them. Jacob DeGrom's gone out and thrown six innings. Most guys haven't. <laughs> Max Scherzer hasn't. Chris Bassett hasn't. I'm not going to pick on Walker and Carrasco because those games were kind of managed differently. But DeGrom has gone out and has been their best starter. As he, and I think he's a victim of his own success because we want domination. We want seven scoreless innings. We all do. I do too. And DeGrom did not dominate in game two. But he was good enough. And I hope... He gets another chance to start a postseason game, game three of the divisional series against the Dodgers. But for that to happen, the New York Mets have to beat Joe Musgrove and the San Diego Padres. Uh, one quick thing. Darren Ruff got on base twice, but yes, we were all pissed off that Darren Ruff was in this lineup. It's a non-issue against Musgrove because he's not going to play against Joe Musgrove. Daniel Vogelback does not have good numbers against Joe Musgrove, but I don't think that matters. He's going to play. He's one for nine with five strikeouts. Uh, the only thing that jumps out at me looking at career numbers against Musgrove is that Lindor really does well against him. Now, what does that mean? Here's how little it means. Lindor sucked against Blake Snell. And so I tell my dad that in the first inning. I said, listen, dad, Lindor can't hit Blake Snell. And he looks at me and says, I bet you it's a home run, and he does. 3-1, boom, home run. So sometimes these numbers, I, I tell you not because I think it necessarily means anything. I think it's good to know sometimes, just good to have the information, and then you can do whatever the hell you want with it. You could say it doesn't mean anything, or you could say, oh, that's interesting. So Lindor is 6-17 for 17 with two doubles and two home runs against Musgrove. Uh there's really nothing else that jumps out of me with these career numbers. Alonzo's three for eight with a home run. That's not bad. But I think we know what the lineup is. I think we have an idea. It's the left-handed lineup against Musgrove. And we'll see what happens. Uh, where's my confidence level? It ain't high. I'm sorry. 
I apologize if you were looking for some super high confidence. Is it at least 50-50? Is it like you know split down the middle? Because I'm I'm there. I, I I'm half confident. I'm like, yeah, it's a coin toss. Probably in that range. Maybe it's a little bit leaning towards the loss. I think I'm nervous about Bassett. I think that's really where it comes from now, thinking about it. You know, how good is Chris Bassett going to be? How well will this, like, where does Buck go out of the pen? I do think one big thing that happened, and I'd be remiss not to mention it, is that Joely Rodriguez is off the roster and Taiwan Walker is on it. And I think that's a huge deal because if Bassett struggles, this is an elimination game. And Chris Bassett's not Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer. You're going to give DeGrom and Scherzer a lot more time to work out of their troubles. You just are. I think there could be a quick hook on Bassett. A very quick hook. And the way I would predict it is that if he's in trouble in an inning, it wouldn't be Walker immediately. It would probably be a Michael Givens or a Drew Smith. And then for a clean inning, you'd see Taiwan Walker maybe pitch four or five innings. Like, I think that's on the table. So I, I don't know if Joely Rodriguez has a real injury. He probably does. But I think the Mets may have said, hey, you know, Scherzer got knocked out early. Let's let's make sure we have another arm in this bullpen who could go deep. Because I, I didn't love the fact that Walker and Carrasco weren't on the roster. We made that clear. We talked about it. I didn't love it. Or did I make it clear? I don't think I did. I don't think we did a podcast. I may have said that on the air. No, we, we said it on the we, we said it on the air, but we we talked about broke it down how it's like we have to have one of those two on yeah. there just to get the because you couldn't have Trevor Williams, so one of them is necessary. And I, they didn't do it. And look, no. they, they they fixed it now. So okay, great. Taiwan Walker's there. Joely Rodriguez isn't, but I think Ty could be a huge factor in Game Three. I really do. I think it'd be a huge, huge factor because. In these games, you don't have patience. It's With Scherzer and DeGrom, you're going to have patience because they're all timers. So, of course, you're going to let them work out of trouble. Chris Bassett puts the first three guys on base. You're going to get warm-up action in the bullpen. It's an elimination game. I, I think it's just the way it is. So, I think Taiwan Walker could be a huge factor. And look, he's going to use Edwin Diaz aggressively. I don't care how many pitches he threw in game two. Same thing with Adam Adovino. Lugo's pitched back-to-back days. We haven't seen much of Drew Smith. David Peterson looked pretty good in game one. So all hands on deck. That's the way it is for a game three. And we'll see what happens. And it's the only game three because the other series all went bing, 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 and bing, bing. So, oh, man, I'm exhausted. I apologize. I think we've done enough, okay? We'll give you another Rico Bronia after this series. Hopefully, it'll be a celebration. Hopefully, we'll recap a game three victory. But there's a chance it'll be a very depressing Rico Bronia. We'll have that posted uh, a few hours after the game ends because I'll be at City Field on Sunday night, 707 first pitch, LFGM. And thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>